What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today's guest is my friend Eric Bach, head coach and owner of BachPerformance.com, which is an online coaching platform. Eric has been in the space for a really long time, so I've known of Eric for shit years now, just following up and, and reading his content, which is really, really high level, um, not only on his Instagram, Bach Performance, or his website, BachPerformance.com, but also on T Nation and some other big name sites that he's been a part of and that he has been writing content for for years now. He has a lot of experience in the industry from working with top level athletes to um, entrepreneurs and CEOs and the general population, but he's also built a very successful online brand because... He's an excellent coach, and that's what we're going to dig in today is we're going to talk a lot about a realistic approach to what science-based training looks like, and this is why I really like Eric, and this is why him and I uh, agree on a lot of things, but also just have a really good conversation during the show and see eye-to-eye on so many different topics because we take a science-based approach, and we, I shouldn't say dumb it down, but we simplify it so people can actually adhere to it because there's a lot of general population out there that wants to burn fat wants to build muscle, wants to get healthier, wants to train to feel, move, and look better. And the only way we can do that is if we take science and we simplify it in a matter that people can actually adhere to because adherence is the number one key, which him and I go back and forth on. So you're going to hear us talk a lot about his story, his philosophies with program design, and then we're going to get into the biggest mistakes of building muscle, building strength, burning fat, nutrition, training, so many different things, um, specifically talking about the biggest mistakes that most people out there are making and how to fix those issues. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear this one. Without any further ado... Let's get on to the episode with Eric Bach. Why don't we start by just going over your story, man? I'd love to hear your background of like why you got into fitness in, uh, fitness in the first place. Yeah, so overall, the big reason I got into fitness in the first place was I was always a small guy growing up. Uh, I remember at one point, I believe I was about 15 years old, 14, 15 pounds playing football. And, you know, at that point, all my classmates had taken off. They were growing. You know, I'd been a decent athlete up to that point. But all of a sudden, it was like I was physically inferior. And then, like, mentally, that just drained me. And I was running down the field at one point, And there was me and one other guy in my class. And he had a choice. He could either run through me or he had an angle as well. He could beat me to the end zone in a foot race. He chose to run over me. So at that point, I was like, I was completely embarrassed. I was flat out on my back, man. Like my skin was flush. Um, you know, he was talking shit like on the way out and, um, you know, getting some ribbings from my teammates. And it was at that point, it was like, I got to do something about this. Like, you know, like there's not a lot of things that are in my hands. Like, you know, I'll start growing at one point. And it was really then like that day, I had a coach who pulled me aside because he just kind of saw my body language. I was down and I just went in the gym after that point. And just became obsessed with the training aspect of it first to improve, you know, the way I felt about myself, but also the performance aspect, a pretty good athlete. And that let everything pick up, you know, that lets, you know, let me get stronger, let me get faster, let me start building muscle and all that stuff. And one thing led to another. And, um, you know, all, all of a sudden I went from a you know, below average athlete to, you know, I was, I was a track athlete, I some school records in terms of sprints, tried to go into college, um, unfortunately tore a hamstring. And um, that twice within a four and a half month period, right after rehab, when I was uh, doing like a turn and go drill when I was in college. And at that point, I was like, you know what? I was kind of battling this hamstring, I had, you know, shoulder issues, not on scholarship. I'm obsessed with the training component. 
let's go full on into the training component and the preparation. And that really took my migration from being an athlete into somebody who's becoming a practitioner and becoming, becoming a coach. I love it, man. So, and, and it's funny because nine out of 10 times, like any solid coach always has some kind of either traumatic injury or insecurity or something behind it that puts them in the client's shoes. And I think that's what honestly makes the best coaches. Yeah, man, I agree. And, you know, I talk to a lot of coaches about this and they're like, you know, maybe my story doesn't directly relate to my clients, so on and so forth. But whether it's like you were somebody who's struggling to improve performance for a sport, whether you were someone who's struggling to, to build muscle as maybe a, a skinny guy, or whether you're somebody who's struggling with their weight and couldn't get it down, the underlying component is that insecurity. And it's the way that it makes us feel. And it's the way that fitness becomes a vehicle for us to not only change our body, but because we change our body, we also change our mindset. A change that we approach our day. We change, you know, all of these skills and all these underlying factors that really lead to not only better performance, but being a better person and a more well-rounded person. And that's the key factor really with any physique transformation. Man, you couldn't have said it better. I 100% agree. So did it start all, because right now I believe you're 100% online. Did it start there? What was the process of going, were, were you in the gym? And if you were there, what was that process like as far as being in the gym first and then moving into an online space? Yeah, you know, I was lucky to be in a position where I went to a smaller school and they didn't have full-on strength staff that were um, that were leading all the workouts and all that stuff. You know, the coaches did some, and then they had some guys who were in upper-level graduate degrees and whatnot come in and do some, some work, but they didn't have like a full-on head strength conditioning staff. Um, so, you know, just being obsessed, I was reading absolutely everything I could, you know, training myself and hooked up with a couple of the coaches, built those relationships and started just, you know, kind of doing some stuff on the side with some of the athletes and helping them with their workouts and going through that stuff. Even when I was 18, 19, 20 years old with these athletes. So I got a lot of experience really in the trenches in the collegiate weight room at that point to the point where I was taking over collegiate wrestling for the final two years of college, uh, where I was really able to work with the athletes, design all the programs throughout the entire, you know, entire cycle throughout the entire season. Um, you know, after I got through college, I took a job out in Denver. I worked for Steve Hess at a gym called uh, Forza Performance. Uh, Steve Hess, until this past year, had been strength coach for the Denver Nuggets for about 20 years. Um, so I got my got my feet wet there, and this is a big gym. Um, give you an idea of the gym. It was, uh, it was attached to the Ritz-Carlton, so a really good clientele, but it was like a 40,000-square-foot gym with a professional sports connections, and we had a full NBA court. So I remember one day I was sitting out there and like, you know, Lakers, uh, Lakers are playing nuggets and like Kobe's up there shooting jump shots. I'm like, okay, it's pretty cool. But, uh, you know, <laughs> so I started working in that big box, big box environment. Yeah, man. I was like, this is nuts. But, uh, so I started working that big box environment. I still had some of the connections with the athletic world and that really gave me a place to see kind of the, the classic, um, the classic gym scenario, right. Uh, as a trainer, everything is more or less kind of commission based. You got to go out, you got to find the leads, You've got to learn to be able to how to sell to people and how to, you know, not only train, but actually the business aspect of it, because you alone are going to be responsible for, for your income. So I learned, you know, a lot of the business aspects right there at that gym. Unfortunately, they went through a management change, uh, you know, while I was there, I believe about two years in, I had a good business, but, you know, at that point, you know, it's kind of a situation where I could stay there and work for a lot less money and lose my autonomy, or I could leave. You know, um, at this point, I had been writing a little bit. Um, I started block performance originally just because, you know, all the coaches I looked up to, the guys on Teen Nation and whatnot, like Tony Gentlico or Roman, um, you know, Jay Ferrugia, I was reading all their stuff really consistently on websites like Teen Nation. I'm like, you know what? I kind of want to write on Teen Nation. So I just started writing about the problems that my clients had. Um, nobody was reading my blog, maybe except for my mom and a couple of my clients, you know, for a couple of years. But I just, 
you know, consistently wrote and just talked about what my clients are struggling with and try to provide solutions to more people. Uh, when I left that gym, um, this was when I first started getting into the online world. Uh, I had hooked up with John Goodman. He became my first coach at that point of the Personal Trainer Development Center. Um, and I developed some online systems at that point and was able to pull a couple of clients with me who could not come to the new performance gym that I was going to train at. Uh, that was um, Landau Performance under Lauren Landau down in uh, the south side of Denver. Um, so I brought a number of my clients with me online and those who um, did not come with me online, a number of them also came with me in the gym. So I started in a place where I was able to leave one location and still have a base of both online coaching and then in-person training, which was great to be able to leave a gym and actually not have to start completely over because that's something that I'm not sure if you've done that, Cody, but man, it is tough as a trainer to completely start over. So, you know, I'll try to speed that up a little bit, but I was, I was working there. We're doing a lot of, you know, land performance, world-class performance athletes at every single level, doing a lot of NFL combine training um, and, and kind of dabbling, you know, a lot deeper into the fitness or into the, into the performance world. And then also working with my fitness clients, it gave me a really good, good firsthand experience to see what crossovers maybe between performance and physique and what do I really prefer to do? Because I'm still a young coach at this point and so many coaches enter the industry and think that they have to know exactly what they want to do as soon as they get out. Or it's like, you know, I want to work with division one athletes and I'm just going to go to the gym and um, work at a 24 hour fitness, you know, for a while and, and get some experience and then try to go back, you know, getting this experience really let me see, okay, what kind of athlete do I want to work with? Do I want to work with athletes? Do I want to work with, you know, more of a general population? People want to look better naked and have fitness improve their life, not consume it. And at that point, you know, I'd worked there for a couple of years, had great mentorship under Lauren Landau, honestly, one of the best coaches I could ever recommend if you see him speak. Um, at this point though, I decided, you know what, I want to do this I want to build my online business. I want to be able to focus on building Bach Performance as a brand rather than working underneath an umbrella brand like Lando Performance. So, you know, I started doing some, um, you know, I went to a spot in Denver, able to bring more of my clients online. Online client, or online training was building up. I'm getting paid well to do some writing, had some products out, and um, was able to really more or less completely build my own brand from this and, and just go to a place where I was able to become an independent contractor as a coach. This gave me the freedom to work the hours that I wanted to and start to really expand the online business. Now, everything was going well. Uh, it was a couple months in, you know, I had a little bit of a hit in income because I left, you know, some clients back with a land performance because I wasn't going to be able to train, you know, kids getting ready for um, getting ready for their senior year and going into college, optimally the performance facility I was at now. And I remember I just got done working with a client and my phone was going nuts and I'm not sure about you, but like when I'm on the floor, I'm not touching my phone. Like that's no, like I'm focused on my clients. I'm like, okay, this thing's been going off like 10 minutes. Let me check this out. So pretend this is my phone. I flip it up and I have like four or five missed calls and, um, voice messages from my accountants, uh, my accountant's secondary. Like this can't be good. Like <laughs> what's going on here. And you know, I, I listened to this voice message and as it turned out, my accountant had turned out to be a fraudulent accountant and stole over $50,000 from my business. And um, the IRS, like, it went after him and all this stuff. He was running from the police. And, like, this ended up being, like, a $20 million case. And it's got, like, 12, 12 years in prison, like, a couple months ago. But long story short, I went to a position where I was, like, I was ready to go all in on my own and had all this money stolen from my business like that was what I was going to use to build it. And all of a sudden I had nothing but the knowledge that I had. And I had more or less $100,000 swing because I had to pay the 50 grand back 
in penalties and interest despite the fact that I'd already paid it, just the way that it works. So I had to completely reevaluate the way that my business was structured. More or less, you know, I was saddled with this. You know, I'm married, like, you know, my wife, like, you know, she was worried about her job because she worked for a computer software company that dealt with the government and taxation systems because both of our stuff was was really, you know, was affected by this. So I'm like, okay, I got to figure out a way to really grow this business and do it fast. And at this point, I started integrating the online component directly to my in-person training. So when clients were gone, I would be able to create workouts that they would be able to do no matter the situation. They would have video guidance. They would have all the support they needed and was really able to synchronize both the online and in-person training component to create what we call hybrid business or like a hybrid business. And this is the point when my business really took off and then eventually led me down kind of the path of business coaching and, and working with other fitness professionals. Wow, man. I mean, first of all, holy shit. That's like a talk about a speed bump in the road. That's not fuck. I can't imagine. Fuck, that. <laughs> cool thing about that story though it's so similar to mine actually because i i mean mentor after mentor building a blog that again nobody really read but maybe a couple people probably my mom and i kept building it and then i wrote for john goodman's website bodybuilding.com some other people and i just kind of kept going that route over time until i went all in on the online business and made that shift my question for you is that whole story how many years was that like how long did that process take uh, from building my business from this point, um, coming up on about eight years. So, and that's like, that's the part people, a lot of people need to realize. Cause now in a day of instant gratification and Instagram and all this shit, like people assume that they just start posting content, write a few blogs and they can be an online coach if they have some abs. And it's like these things, like most people who are very successful in the industry have been doing this for so long. I mean, shit, I've been writing blogs for the last seven years. Right. So like things take a, a long time yeah. to build it to where they are today. Yeah, that's a big thing, man. Like, you know, we see it both in, in fitness and with business. And it's unfortunately in the instant gratification society that we live in and the way that social media is portrayed and, you know, all the advertisements that we see on a regular basis that people want to want to find a quick fix to not have to do the work or maybe not even that they're trying to avoid the work. It's just been, that it's been drilled that you can do things really quickly and get great results. when a lot of times that's not how it works. You know, the people who become successful online coaches are few and far between, not because of a lack of knowledge. It's because of a lack of grit and determination to, pers- to persevere longer than other people. And that's the thing that's really, really difficult about, you know, building your body or building business. It's that consistency day in, day out, and focusing on the primary building blocks that are going to get you there, the things that are really simple, providing a lot of value in terms of business, and, you know, just improving your craft. And then, you know, in the gym, it's, are you getting progressive overload? Are you training con- consistently are your is your nutrition in alignment with your goals are you sleeping are all these factors done and done so on a consistent basis those are you know the real shortcuts and unfortunately you know it's going to take some time but at the end of the day that's the beautiful thing about it because that's where the real lessons lie yeah 100 percent. all right so going off that how important um and, and how important is free content to you because you put out a lot of free content i mean shit i've been reading your stuff on t nation for a long time and i think part of that um perseverance and determination and just staying consistent with the work comes down to be willing to put out free information for a really long time and not really expect anything back right away. No instant gratification associated with it. I mean, that's my opinion personally. So how do you feel about free content and how important that's been in your growth as as an online coach? Yeah. You know, being able to put out, you know, free content and being able to put a ton of value into the world is 
it's essential, especially in a world right now where it's like, like we talked about the instant gratification aspect. If you can outlast the competition, put out more high value content over a longer period of time, you're going to be the person that people associate with solving their problems. A lot of times the income that you make as an online coach is a direct correlation to how much value you put out into the marketplace. And if you're putting out more value by providing free content and the things that are going to be able to help people, help that client that, that, that maybe has that same pain point that really drove you to get involved in fitness and continue to provide solutions for them, you're going to be the person that they come to when it comes to making a maybe purchase decision, whether it's buying a product or whether it's buying coaching. And in far too many coaches, yeah, they just give in before that process. You know, it's, Said so many shiny objects out these days, but you know you got to be able to put value out in the world. And it's not just a case either of just putting out a bunch of random stuff and seeing what sticks. You got to know who you're trying to talk to. Like you know, what exactly is that person struggling with? Who is that person that you're trying to have a conversation with? You know, one thing that you know that a lot of my clients found very helpful is I tell them to imagine that one person that they're talking to. Who is that ideal client? And just imagine you're having a conversation with that one person and trying to solve one question that they have. If you focus on that every single time and just answer maybe one question a week, if you're a coach, think of maybe any of the questions that your clients ask you and just put that out maybe in a video or in an article per week, you're going to be able to be successful. You just got to be consistent with it for a while. Yeah, I mean, and that's actually the exact same thing I tell because I, I mentor some coaches as well. And one thing I always talk to them about is like actually writing down the questions your clients ask because people are always like, how do I create content? What do I create content about? It's like, well, if you just like kind of sat down or just copy and paste it every time a client emailed you a specific question, you know, there's millions of people out there that have the exact same question. If you're really good at helping this individual overcome that, then imagine all the people out there that could use your help and you can just use that question as, as fuel for more content. Oh, dude, you nailed it, man. It's unreal. I mean, what are there, 7 billion people? Eight? I don't even know now. But, <laughs> you know, chances are if one person has that question, they're going to be thousands, if not millions of other people who have that same exact question. And, um, you know, one thing I do, especially now because we're always on our phones, is I just have a note, like a note open on my phone. And anytime that I have a client question, I write it down. Yep. Anything maybe that I hear that could be a client question, Maybe it even comes up on a podcast like this and maybe would be from, from an audience or something like that. Like I write that down. Could that be something that, that I could talk about? Maybe I have a different unique spin on it. You know, the ideas are out there. You just have to be able to listen to people and solve their problems. That's really all it comes down to. 100% man, keeping it simple. So let's shift gears. I mean, same topic, I just kind of consistency and everything. But with when it comes to program design, when we're talking about aesthetics specifically, whether that's fat loss or muscle gain, what is your kind of philosophy or overall like foundational approach when it comes to uh, designing your training programs? Yeah, my foundational approach first and foremost comes down to consistency. What is somebody going to be able to do consistently no matter how busy that they get? You know, I focus specifically on working with, with a lot of busy guys. And the biggest thing for them is going to be, you know, creating a program that's going to help improve their life and not completely consume it. I find that work, work, what works best for, you know, like I said, most of these guys are type A, they're executives, ex-athletes, um, you know, higher frequency workouts are going to be a little bit shorter. And then we find the time to make sure that's done consistently. As long as that piece is locked in, everything else will start to fall into place. If we don't have consistency, if we don't have a consistent workout routine where we can get progressive overload in the exact parameters that we want, it doesn't really matter all the other factors. So whatever we can do to lock in consistency, I guess, is the number one thing that I look at when bringing somebody on. You know, after that point, I'm all about simplicity, man. Like the more complicated that we get, 
be more difficult it gets for people to really adhere to it. They they try to get too fancy, and all of a sudden, you know, they, they start looking for bright, shiny objects, even within your own training as a coach. So I find that more or less, the fewer decisions that I can have my clients make, the simpler I can make it so they can follow and, and really just get stronger on their big key lifts, big key movement patterns, the, you know, squats, the hinges, the presses, the pulls, the carries. As long as we're getting stronger in those movements and doing so consistently, consistently, we're going to see results. I love it, man. That's honestly, it's funny because one of my, one of the notes I had written down was to ask you how you approach simplifying things because reading a lot of your information is you have a very similar approach to me of that same exact thing. Like why complicated if we don't need to? And I think a lot of people see, I mean, again, it comes back to Instagram and Facebook and all these things now again. Um, but you see these things of people just doing insane stuff. I mean, like this, like Bradley Martin's a good example, which I watch it because it's funny, but he's doing like squats on a BOSU with like women on top of his barbell, which is really entertaining. Yeah. But I think we see so many things where people are wrapping bands and chains and all these different things all over everything that they get so consumed into this like sexy new variation that they forget that if you can just knock down the basic compounds or even the basic accessory movements, lunges and rows and things like that, and stay consistent with it, it's going to go a lot further. Yeah, man, that's so true. And, you know, I see it in so many places now. Um, like I said, bright, shiny objects are more popular now than ever, but the misapplication of more advanced techniques, whether it's like dynamic effort type stuff, whether it's plyometrics and used with, with athletes that don't have strength base, and then, you know, just using any fancy technique that might be getting any, any more press at any one time and how it's being misapplied around the industry is, is one of the biggest issues because misapplied advanced techniques are more or less a surefire where surefire way for people to to really get hurt and and to not see the results that they want you can't get results if you're banged up and if you're misapplying techniques that are maybe meant for advanced athletes or just doing it for shock value and putting that out as content that people are digesting and thinking that you're the expert um you know to me that's that's more or less that's gross negligence 100 percent. so at, at what point and how do you do so like implementing these things like uh, drop sets and six one contrast sets or pyramid schemes and just different like quote unquote sexy variations. At what point do you decide like somebody's ready for that? And when you do implement it, how do you do so? Yeah. So first and foremost, you know, before I really implement anything advanced like that, I do want to see technique how my clients are doing, what kind of numbers they're moving or what kind of weight they're moving in terms of, uh, in terms of load. For me, a lot of it comes back to making sure that they have a base of strength and then obviously movement capacity. So if people aren't strong and stable through their foundational movement patterns, we don't need to do anything advanced. We got to fix that shit before, you know, before something bad happens. Yep. So then it becomes a case by case basis. So like I said, some of my online clients, I've been lucky to have them for, um, five years online after working with them, you know, in person. So I, I do have a pretty good idea of what they're capable of. So those are a little bit more unique cases, but people that are coming on new, I really try to get a good background in terms of, or get a good understanding of what their background is. You know, were they an athlete? At what level were they an athlete? What kind of training techniques have they used in the past? Okay. What do we need to rebuild? And then after that point, that's when we make a determination to whether or not we can apply these techniques. If it comes to something like a, uh, you mentioned like a pyramid scheme, Basically, I'll do is I'll just kind of I'll just verbalize as much as we can. Okay, if I like to do a two plus or two minus um, tight rep um, like rep scheme. So six to eight, eight to ten. Put a little variety in there when I prescribe my rep schemes for clients. 
And basically for progression, okay, if it's six to eight, if you can get more than eight reps of this weight, we're going to bump it up. Can't do six, we're going we're gonna to drop it down. A lot of times I use a rep range like that in a pyramid, and that gives clients a good idea of how they can start to auto-regulate their training and not pick weights that are going to be misapplied or not push too hard with a certain rep scheme that's going to lead to an injury. Does that make sense? Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. I think that's and, – and with online coaching, I actually think that's – because that's very similar to what I do. Things like auto-regulation and just RPE skills actually come in really handy because when you're not there physically with someone, it's hard to show them exactly how hard they should be going, how far they should push it, how close to failure they should push it because a lot of people, in my experience, seem to do one of two things. They either tend to stay too far away from the right uh, rate of perceived exertion or they're going way too hard all the time. Like they're at an RPE of 10 on everything, practically taking everything to failure. Yeah, I totally agree, man. And I think that opens up a really interesting point. And this is both a positive and a negative when it comes to online training. You know, especially from a coach's perspective, online training is a different animal than coaching in person. Yeah. You have to regress everything and your style of communication is going to be completely different than what it is in the gym. And a lot of coaches don't understand that when, when it comes to being in the gym. But online training is a really unique place because it allows you, if you can properly communicate with your clients, how they can become self-sufficient, how exactly that they can run a progression, how exactly that they can go from set to set know that they're pushing the right amount, but also pulling back to make sure they're not getting hurt. And auto-regulation is something very difficult to talk about. You know, not even, not even, I mean, just from coach to coach, we probably have, you know, different philosophies and auto-regulation are the best way to do because there's so many philosophies out there. But if you can communicate an effective way for people to do that on a regular basis, if you can have a client that understands that, like you've given them the best bet or the best thing that you can as a coach. And that's the ability for them to become self-sufficient with their progression after they've worked so if you can get that down as a coach and really teach people how to progress, how to feel their body, how to understand like, you know, the right amount to push versus pulling back, man, you're doing golden. Yeah. And that's actually something I bring up on every time I get on the phone with a new client, like I always let them know, like my, my job is actually to educate you because whether you work with me for four months or a year, like if you can't consistently do the things I taught you after we're done working together, then I didn't do my job as a coach. Hundred percent, man. Like I said, it's all about educating and letting people understand why, so they can take control for themselves. Yeah. So you've mentioned progressive overload a couple times now. How important is progressive overload in your programming? You know, I think it's very important for for most people. Now, there are a lot of different ways to you know define progressive overload. I don't think everyone should be chasing numbers as the end all be all to dictating their performance. In terms of you know chasing a big deadlift, chasing a big squat, those are great things. But most people deadlift and squat like shit. So, you know, any type of progressive overload that we can get, whether it's, you know, whether it's from increasing weight to increasing reps to being able to maybe optimize technique, slowing down a tempo to provide more stress for the muscle, that's how we're going to do it. So a lot of different ways to really get progressive overload, but we always want to make sure that, that we are pushing ourselves in some way to continue improving and giving that body a slightly bigger stress than it is used to. So it has to adapt and continue to get stronger. And that's uh, like I said, that's a fine line with, with the online coaching component, but you know, really what I've found is most people don't know how to really push themselves when they, when they really start going in the gym. And there is a little bit of fear in terms of doing things wrong, which, you know, that that's a good fear. Uh, but once you lock in technique, you know, you, you do have to start moving some weight because a lot of people try to jump into some fancy techniques before they even do have that base of strength with those big primary movements. 
And, and when that happens, a lot of times they leave results by the wayside because their body is not able to create enough tension. Using, for example, we could talk some bodybuilding, you know, drop set methods, you know, comes down to creating metabolic stress and creating enough tension within the muscle for it to be able to grow. Well, if you can't create enough tension yet because you don't have a base of strength, these bodybuilding methods aren't going to work too well for you. So just a, just a fine line of finding how strong can somebody be and then what other forms of progressive overload do we need to take to help them reach their goals. It comes back down to that patience thing, right? Because I think a lot of people, because I mean, drop sets sound fun or like, let's do a seven second negative with an ISO hold at the bottom. And then we're going to add a band for a drop. You know what I mean? There's all these different things. But like you said, if you can't just get a little bit stronger in the movement, then all of that is just white noise. Yeah, it really is. And like like I said, that's that's the sexy stuff that really, it's like, oh my God, I can't wait to add this to my workout. This is going to be great. But (laughs) But unless you have the prerequisite strength to really be able to handle something like that and you have the progression to be able to do it and to continue to improve on that movement pattern, you know, don't try to be a hero today and sacrifice the results of tomorrow just um, just by trying to do cool shit in the gym. Yeah. So, I mean, going off of that, what are the biggest mistakes you see when people are trying to build muscle? Like if, if muscle and strength is my main goal, out of all the clients you see or all, all the people that reach out to you after reading your content, what is the most common mistakes you see people making in their journey of building muscle? All right. I'm going to give you a couple here. One, never tracking nutrition. Now, I'm not a fan of it. saying you have to just focus. Yeah. You, like you don't have to do this all the time, but so many people say, Hey, I'm eating a lot, but I'm not building muscle. Well, a lot isn't necessarily enough. And like I said, I was a 103 pound dude at one point. Like, man, yeah, I understand. Like you can eat a lot and not gain size, but a lot is not enough. Track your nutrition. Make sure you're getting, I I use like a calculation body weight in pounds times 18 to 20. That's just a, a baseline one that I use. Aim for that first with a gram of protein, carbs and fats. I don't really care. Like as long as you're getting calories and enough protein, don't ask any questions until that part is locked in. But pretty much nobody who wants to gain muscles eating enough if they're not having success, and that is the most important part by far. Uh, number two on that list would actually be sleep. Now, I understand, like I said, I know, I know you're a new father, and a lot of times if, if you've got a crazy schedule, you've got kids, you're not going to be able to get eight hours. You know, that's something that, that rarely happens in these days. Yeah. But a lot of people spend a lot of time watching Netflix. They spend a lot of time on their phone late at night when they could be getting sleep, if you're getting five or six hours of sleep per night and eating enough and training hard, but not seeing results in the gym, I would look at that sleep. You know, we can look at sleep and it's going to improve everything from insulin sensitivity to your hormone profile, to your mood, to your training. And, you know, if there were one supplement that had all of those and uh, it was readily available and it wasn't an anabolic steroid, I'm pretty sure everybody would be all over that. <laughs> but because we wear a lack of sleep, like a bitch honor these days, people are neglecting it. So those would be the top two. And then, uh, you know, I would say number three would be if you're strong already and you're just chasing strength, stop always just chasing a higher number. Stop chasing a PR per se on like a one rep max. You're going to have to start adding some more volume and creating metabolic stress, some more bodybuilding type methods. That's for more advanced lifters. But, um, you know, there's a reason that power lifters can be, you know, 140 pounds and squat 700 pounds and not be any bigger, right? Strength is more neurological, neurological and it's, um, you know, itself. So make sure you're getting enough metabolic stress directly in that training. And then on the flip side, do not start chasing all these advanced bodybuilding methods if you don't have a pretty good base of strength. A lot of good numbers that we could throw out in terms of, um, you know, building a, you know, building a strength base, let's just say like, you know, even two times, one and a half times squat body weight, 
uh, one and a half times bench press, two times deadlift. If you're not hitting those numbers, you should really focus on getting strong and eating enough, and you'll naturally get get bigger with those as a focus. I love it, man. Those are perfect. And it, I love it too, because number one and number two are probably not what people wanted to hear or expected to hear, but they're, it's just so crucial. And I mean, especially the sleep thing. It's, it's, I, I've been noticing it. It's just like my performance, everything ever since we had the baby, because obviously that took at least a couple hours out of my sleep. And I just naturally lowered intensity quite a bit, man. I lowered volume quite a bit because I knew it was just a period of my life where I can't go all out on training because I'm not getting the sleep. Yeah, man, I think that brings up a really important point. I mean, like I said, there are times when it's going to be non-negotiable. If you've got a young one, man, yeah, you're not going to sleep as well, but you do can be able to pull back in your training, whether it's, you know, whether it's your intensity, whether it's your volume or your frequency, and being able to know, like, if these other factors aren't lined up, I can't push harder in every other factor and expect to see results. You know, fitness, you know, where we want to look at building strength, building muscle, or losing fat, all these things are tied together. You know, it's not just a bunch of individual pieces like that are floating around. They are all tied together. So you got to look at the whole picture when it comes to when it comes to your progress, when it comes to results. Yeah. So you mentioned real quick too. You mentioned uh, focusing on like some people only focus on strength when their goal is hypertrophy, which I do see a lot of too. And I'm a big fan of doing a little bit of both because I do think that you're only going to get so far building strength or so far building muscle by ignoring the other one right so how do you tend to program are you the type that likes to do it on two separate days like we have you know upper body max effort upper body hypertrophy repetition dynamic kind of like the west side style or are you a fan of blending it all together where we start the the day with some lower rep strength stuff and then we fade up into the higher rep hypertrophy stuff by the end of the session you know, I'm going to give you the old coach's answer and say it depends, but let me, uh, let me go a little bit deeper into that. So it's my favorite off, answer. I do, I do like <laughs> yeah, right. So I do like to blend it. So let's say, um, you know, let's say we got an upper body day. I would say let's, let's start with something that's going to be a pure strength movement or an explosive movement in the beginning to fire up the central nervous system. You know, think of like a three by five to five by three type rep scheme somewhere in there. You know, whether we're doing something explosive and then maybe into a, so we'll say squat jump with a lower body and then a, a barbell squat five by three, moving on to some pure strength work from there. Then we'll start to migrate into the higher rep ranges. That could be like, you know, three by eight snatch grip for mini deadlift. And then like a four by 10 uh, dumbbell walking lunge, which sounds awful right now. Um, <laughs> and, and then maybe, you know, maybe a high rep finisher after that, that would just allow us to hit. You know, in the beginning, we would hit the explosive movements. We'd hit the strike movements. That's going to help us fire up the central nervous system, recruit more muscle fibers. And then as those start to fade out, then we can hit more higher rep stuff, get the metabolic stress tied in. Personally, that's how I do enjoy training. But if we're talking about being able to fluctuate these things when people are a little bit higher stressed, then I would look at, you know, kind of an intensive, extensive, kind of like you're talking like a dynamic effort versus a separate type day. So one day could be, you know, you could do a total body workout like this where it's, you know, okay, today's an intensive day. We're going to hit all the things that are going to be heavy and explosive. They're going to be more neurologically demanding. So we could hit a heavy bench, a heavy squat, and um, if we're really crazy, a heavy deadlift, but probably like an RDL or something like that instead with more low rep stuff, heavier weight. The next day, we could hit the same movement patterns, like a dumbbell bench, a um, Bulgarian split squat or a goblet squat, and a single leg RDL with higher reps and more volume. That way we're giving the nervous system a little bit of a break, but then we're also hitting that metabolic stress component. I think either one can work. It's going to be what's going to fit your schedule and your ability to recover a little bit better. 
Love it, man. You're speaking of the quarks. That's exactly how I am too. And I think it, it, it also goes back to that adherence point, right? Like if somebody really enjoys low rep strength work, but I know they need to work on more high rep hypertrophy work, then we're probably going to spread them both across the week. So they're constantly getting a little bit of that strength work to keep them excited about going into the gym. Yeah, man, that's important. You know, like I said, you, you bring up that human element and, uh, you know, the perfect program doesn't mean shit if, if people aren't going to do it. You got to find something that, that your clients are going to like, um, as well as giving them the things that they don't like that they need. Or if you're just training for yourself, make sure you're doing the things that are going to get you in a gym in the first place, but make sure that, you know, you are doing the things that you need to take care of as well. I love it, man. So um, coming back to the mistakes, what are the biggest fat loss mistakes you see? Or are they the same exact thing? You know, I could say that they're probably the same exact thing. Again, nutrition, number one, not tracking. Um, you know, the biggest thing with tracking, and there's somewhat of a caveat for fat loss, right? Because say you look at a general equation that says, I need to eat 2,000 calories for maintenance, but I've been eating 1,800 and I'm not losing fat. You know, fat loss gets a little bit trickier because you can deal with some metabolic downregulation, metabolic adaptations, where your body's gotten used to you eating at a caloric deficit, and then you're going to have to, you know, make some changes and do a reverse diet. Um, I'm not sure if you want to dig into that too much, but I would say, you know, tracking your calories, making sure that you're tracking the snacks and things that you're having between. If you're grabbing peanuts from the office and then eating a scoop of peanut butter before you go to bed, you know, those things do add up. Um, so, you know, it first comes down to energy balance, sleep, very important for fat loss. And then it comes back to the training. Are you getting, are you do, are you training to maintain strength? Are you still hitting the gym or are you just, you know, doing a bunch of cardio? So I would just make sure that you're doing plenty of weight training still. I would say at least twice a week heavy because it's going to help you maintain hormone levels, help you maintain lean body mass, which in turn helps you keep that resting metabolic rate up so you lose more fat while you're sleeping and doing absolutely nothing. So don't just turn you know your training into a, into a mishmash of cardio, heaving and hawing, and, and never lifting anything heavy. I think that's probably, in my opinion, one of the biggest mistakes training-wise for fat loss is people assume that training for fat loss is its own entity when in reality, they should probably be training for hypertrophy or strength and or and then focusing on nutrition for fat loss. Would you agree? 100%. Yeah, but I think, uh, like you mentioned, the training aspect, it doesn't really need to be much different. I would say the only thing that I would add would be, you know, if you don't do any cardio because you hate cardio when you're, uh, you know, when you're trying to build muscle or build strength, you know, add two days of high intensity work and go for a walk, you know, 20 minutes a day, four days a week. You know, if you do that for your training and continue training the same way, but drop your calories, you're going to be in a good position, but you know, don't turn everything into a circuit. hundred percent. So, um, I'd be curious for this next one, which is going to be nutrition mistakes that you see, because you and I both kind of work with a lot of the same typical clientele, um, people who are committed to going to the gym, committed to seeing results, but obviously that they are general population. Not everybody we work with is high level athletes or physique competitors. So what are the most common nutrition mistakes you see with these people? You know, first and foremost, I would just say completely – how many fucks do I get to, get to say on the, on the podcast? As many as you want, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fucking up on the weekend a little bit too hard without, without adjusting during the week. Yep. Um, like I said, we have a lot of the same clients. And, you know, quite honestly, I'm a lot like a lot of my clients where I, when the weekend comes, I want to go and have a good meal. I want to go out and have, a, you know, have some bourbon, you know, be able to go out and have a good time. But you also have to account that those days when your calories are a little bit higher, when you're partaking these activities, that, you know, nutrition is the sum of parts of all the parts. So if you are in a 500 calorie deficit five days a week 
and that's 2,500 calories, but then you blow your weekend by 5,000 calories, you're going to gain fat, even though it feels like you're dieting every single day, except for the weekend. So really what, what I've found for most of my clients is finding a way to dial back during the week to create a caloric deficit and then keep the weekends with it with or within check. If you can do that, you're going to be able to have a good, have a lifestyle that you want, be able to do some of the things socially that maybe you need to do for work or just so you have a social life without sacrificing your results in the gym. So I would say dial back with your fat loss during the week, really, or attack it a little bit more aggressively. And then during the weekend, you'll be able to live a little bit, but just do so within reason. I love it, dude. That's perfect. And I have, I've even set up people's uh, macros and calories in that exact form, right? Give them a little bit of uh, freedom on the weekend, but it's really just around maintenance, just to be, just to give them some sanity and keep them in check during the week. Dude, you know what? I mean, the best thing I found for that, and like I said, I'm not dogmatic when when it comes to really any nutrition philosophy, but I found the best thing, at least for my guys, is finding a way to tie in some form of intermittent fasting during the week. And purely from the perspective is like, okay, listen, like. In the morning, listen, I know you've got to be focused. Let's get your work done. Let's have you be very focused and let's improve some insulin sensitivity. Let's have you fast. We're going to skip breakfast or just give you something light, some protein, and backload your calories for the rest of the day because I know you have meetings. I know you have dinners. I know you have these events coming up, and that's going to put you in a pretty steep deficit. And as soon as I do that with my clients, as long as we're able to stick to it on a consistent basis, fat loss happens pretty quick because the most important part for fat loss, as you know, is being able to create that caloric deficit over time. I don't really care how you get there, but whatever is going to be the best way for you to do it without completely flipping your lifestyle or driving you nuts is going to be the best approach for you. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big I'm a big fan of intermittent fasting if it makes your lifestyle easier, because I think a lot of people assume it's a magic trick um, hormonally or fat loss wise. And reality is, it's just if it can make you adhere to a caloric deficit better then I'm all for it. So that is the biggest <laughs> that is the truth, man. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk about lifestyle tips real quick, man. Like you obviously have a lot of, uh, entrepreneurs, business, business guys, like people who are busy, but are committed and constantly going to the gym to change their body. Do you have any lifestyle tips of just making this more habitual for people? Yeah. The biggest thing would be, you know, finding a routine that you're going to do consistently, no matter what your busy schedule looks like. So if you're going to be someone who's going to struggle with getting to the gym for 90 minutes, three or four days a week, break these workouts up so they're a little bit shorter and you're able to do them more frequently so you're able to lock in that consistency. It's all about making sure that you're able to do things consistently. So, you know, what are going to be the smallest habits that we can break down that are going to help you make those changes? In terms of lifestyle, okay, what time of day can we help make sure that you train before life gets hectic? Cool, let's make sure that it's in the morning before you go to work. And that's our first habit. Moving on from that point, when it comes to overall with a lifestyle, what are some of the first things that we take away that aren't going to really impact your day-to-day activities, but are going to have a big impact in terms of your physique? Can we start making sure that you're not having soda, you know, when you're going out for lunch, can we start taking the creamers and the frappuccinos and the high calorie drinks out of your day-to-day activities while still giving you caffeine? A lot of times that low hanging fruit and cutting out liquid calories and just getting consistent workouts in the morning before the day gets chaotic can be absolutely life-changing for so many busy folks, man. It's, like, like to me, that's the lowest hanging fruit that's really out there. Dude, I love it. Um, everything so far has been so on point, man. So we, we are gonna um, we're gonna wrap up with a personality question, and I'm actually gonna switch it up this week. Um, and I don't know if you've been listening to the podcast, but sometimes I get people on here, and they already know what the personality question is gonna be. So I decided to flip the script a little bit, and we're gonna change it just a little bit. So the situation right. is, 
you're at a dinner table and there's three empty chairs in front of you. So there's four seats all together, including yours. You can have whatever three people you want at that dinner table, alive or dead, anybody, it just cannot be friends or family. And you got, you can choose whatever you want to eat. So it's your all time favorite meal. And the three people you want to sit down and eat dinner with for a couple hours, who are those people and what are you eating? Oh man. All right. Um, I'm going to cover the food first. I'm going to have a ribeye, dry aged ribeye, medium rare. <laughs> I'm not sure what I have besides a steak, probably some, probably some broccoli and some, uh, probably have a, a Manhattan. So I got a good cocktail. I got a good meal. I love it. Um, it's a man meal right that's there. That's my go-to. That's my go-to, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. In terms of who, who am I eating with? Um, Joe Rogan. Great Joe choice. Rogan is, man, he's just hilarious. I pretty much watch Joe Rogan like every single night. <laughs> throw that up on, on my TV while I'm working and like listen to him in the background. So that's one. Um, number two would be Bruce Lee. Um, you know, Bruce Lee, simplicity, man, hack away at the, at the, or keep the essentials, hack away at everything that's unessential. Just, I love Bruce Lee, everything that he stands for. And this is overall philosophy. Um, and then third, because I am a groupie for the NFL, my man, Aaron Rodgers, I would, uh, I would definitely like him at the table and just see kind of his sarcasm with Joe Rogan. And then Bruce Lee just kind of sitting there, I think would be a hilarious conversation between the three of them. I guess I'd be kind of there watching. I probably would be too scared to say anything. <laughs> that would definitely be i mean shit talk about people with experience too so that would be a great conversation man you learn a lot yeah man it, i think it would be it'd be great man just like joe rogan so talented in so many different ways and everything he does touch it turns to gold you know bruce lee left such a big imprint in the world before you know before his early passing and then a guy like aaron Rodgers is an athlete who um, was more or less overlooked in so many different ways and, and built himself up and become just an absolute monster on the field. And um, I, I just think it would be an incredible kind of blend of, of life experiences and a lot of learning experiences that, that people are coming from different directions. And there'd be a lot of good underlying principles that I think would be very helpful. It's huge, man. I love that none of them are directly in fitness too. That's kind of cool because a lot of people in, in I think 90% of the guys who have been on my podcast have said Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I was wondering if you were going to go with him. You know what? I thought about it, and actually, I was <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, I was in Venice, man. I was having coffee one day, and um, I'm like, "Who the hell is riding their bike with a boot just down the street?" And I look up, and it's like my wife said that, and it was Arnold Schwarzenegger just on a bike ride. He like just had surgery on his foot, and he's still out there exercising, just riding his bike down like in Venice. That's unreal, crazy. <laughs> So that, that would be an awesome person to be at the table, though, I got to admit. So, man, Eric, thank you so much for coming on the show, dude. I really appreciate it. I've been a big fan of your content for a long time now. So it's been awesome. Uh, my honor to really have you on the show and talk. Why don't you tell uh, the listeners where they can find all your work? Yeah, guys, the best spot to find me is going to be, you know, if you want to go to the website, BachPerformance.com. Um, most active social media platform for me is Instagram. So that is Instagram.com backslash at Bach Performance or at Bach Performance is the handle. Um, I'm there pretty active doing my stories. If you guys shoot me a direct message, I'll shoot you a video back and um, I'm up there to help you guys. So thank you very much for being part of the podcast as well. And Cody, thank you for having me. All right, guys, that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show today. A couple quick announcements before I let you go. First and foremost, I just want to encourage you to check out the products I have in the description. First one, 
is the nutrition hierarchy. This is a very cheap guide to literally mastering your diet. That's why it's called the all-inclusive guide to mastering your diet. It's going to teach you exactly what and how to manage your calories, your macros, your meal timing, your supplements, your micronutrients, literally everything you need to know about dieting and nutrition and how to change your body composition through nutrition is included in this book, not just to get your results, but to actually teach you how to get those results along the way. The next thing is going to be functional muscle, which is my first and right now my biggest product out there. This is the program that is based on years and years and years of functional training with tons of clients. So whether your goal is strength, fat loss, or muscle gain, you should be strength training towards these goals while prioritizing functional movement patterns to make sure that you are avoiding any injuries along the way. That's exactly what this program does, and it's great because it guides you through the process, it changes throughout the process, and it gives you demonstrations and explanations about everything you're doing so you never get confused and you always have a solution. You also get access into the Boom Boom Performance Podcast Forum, and that is the only way into the forum, and that's where you can ask me literally anything about anything, and I will help guide you through the process. Last thing I want to mention, guys, is if you could leave me a five-star rating and review, that would be fantastic because it literally is one of the biggest and best ways for me to grow in the iTunes charts. Oh, yeah, and real quick, if you're not subscribed, hit the damn subscribe button because I constantly bust out content for you guys, and I spent a lot of time and effort making sure that you guys can get better results for free by simply listening to this podcast. All right, guys, I'll catch you next time.